You may remember it was uh, August, September of 2003. The national uh, media exposure that was given to the Ten Commandments judge. It's a while back, but uh, Judge Roy Moore, uh, who was the um, Chief Justice of Alabama, uh, was removed from his office because he was unwilling to take down a large stone monument of the Ten Commandments in the Judicial Center in Montgomery, Alabama. And he was ousted in response uh, to a lawsuit that was brought by the American Civil Liberties Union. Now, whether you remember that story or not, just that, just that national media exposure of the Ten Commandments and where they belong and where they don't. Do they belong on a wall in a school? Do they belong in a courthouse? Do they not? It is of national media prominence, and that's just one of many stories like that. And, and here's what that, that national media exposure of the Ten Commandments has done. I think it's done two things. Number one is it has ripped the Ten Commandments or removed the Ten Commandments out of the biblical context and really reduced them to uh, somewhat of just a religious general statement of morality. And then number two is that because they have been ripped out of context, the Ten Commandments have become ammunition, depending on what side you're on. Ammunition of, of judgment, ammunition of misunderstanding, uh, if you're here this morning and you are not a particularly religious person, you might hear or see the Ten Commandments and immediately think about judgment or hypocrisy or narrowness. And those are the very things in the Ten Commandments kind of being the one that's caused it that has caused you to write off Christianity. And so you're sitting here this morning going, I can't believe it, I'm about to hear a sermon on the Ten Commandments. Uh, or you may be a, you may classify yourself as a particularly religious person this morning. And when you hear and, and see the Ten Commandments, what you hear might be the, the last great hope to restoring morality to the United States of America. And, and what I want to do is I want to I challenge both of those views and, and start to unpack, start to sift through the misunderstanding, misconceptions of the Ten Commandments and restore the beauty of what they are and the beauty of what they are in the Scriptures where we find them. And so how are to we, we to understand the Ten Commandments? How are we to understand them? It's one word. Love. Sermon done, series done, come back in 12 weeks. There you go. That's the Ten Commandments. Now, what do we mean by that? What do we mean that love is the summary of the Ten Commandments? Okay, first, the Ten Commandments are a response to God's love. Exodus 20, verse 2 is oftentimes glossed over. 
Right? We jump straight to the first commandment and read through it. And yet, verse 2 is absolutely foundational to the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. If you've been participating in community Bible reading, you'll know that we have started reading the book of Exodus. And in the early chapters of the book of Exodus, we read of God's people in this awful slavery in Egypt. They're being oppressed. They're being treated harshly. 400 years of it, many generations of it. And they cry out to God for help. And in Exodus 2, we read this. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. That language is, is repeated over and over in Exodus chapter 2. That God hears their groaning and remembers, not that he forgot. Right? That word remember means that he, he's acting. Right? On the covenant he made with Abraham, which is to say God was going to build a family. That's what he told Abraham. I'm going to build a family through you. And so now he hears his children crying out in pain. And like any father, the compassion of a father, the love of a father, God responds to the cry of his people. And then we see the miraculous parting of the Red Sea, the ten plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, how God rescues his people. He saves his people who can't save themselves. They are utterly helpless in Egypt. And God saves them. And after saving them, he brings them to Mount Sinai, which is where we're at. Exodus 19, Mount Sinai, Exodus 20. He explains what their relationship should look like with him, their father, and with each other. That's the context of the Ten Commandments. You know, <clears throat> Israel's uh, uh, delivery from Egypt absolutely parallels your own salvation. The scriptures say that you and I are slaves to sin. And what that means is that we desire, we have this desire in us, this inclination, this propensity in us to live independently of God, to do our own thing, to seek goodness and to seek pleasure outside of God. And the Bible also says that sin is, it has this addictive nature to it that enslaves you. And once it enslaves you, you can't get out. So just like Israel was enslaved in Egypt and could not free themselves, so you too are a slave to sin and you cannot rescue yourself. God has to rescue you. And he's done that through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You say, how does that happen? How does it connect with the Ten Commandments? Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Listen to what Jesus says here. Do not think, Jesus says, that I have come to abolish the law. The Ten Commandments are the, the core of the law. That's what went in the Ark of the Covenant, the Ten Commandments. All the Mosaic law outside of that was an application of the, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were the, the core substance of the law. Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish it. I didn't come to abolish the Ten Commandments, he says. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
Jesus fulfilled God's law. Jesus perfectly obeyed the Ten Commandments in your place. And that when you trust him and you put your faith in him, you receive his perfect obedience and he takes your disobedience. That's what salvation is. That is how God rescues you through the work of Jesus Christ. And so we learn something at the very outset of this series on the Ten Commandments, something very important in verse 2 of Exodus 20. And that is that salvation precedes obedience. That salvation or grace comes before obedience. God saved Israel, then gave them the Ten Commandments of how they were to live with this gracious Father. Ten Commandments are not the means by which you earn your acceptance before God. Jesus earned your acceptance for you by perfectly obeying them. The Ten Commandments are a response to the love of God shown supremely in the work of Jesus Christ, His own Son. And so the Ten Commandments fall into the I'm accepted, therefore I obey. I'm accepted, therefore I obey. And you have got to keep your eyes on that as we work through this sermon series on where the Ten Commandments fall in context. So how are we to understand the Ten Commandments? First, they are a response to God's love. Second, they are a call to love God. They're a call to love God. In summarizing the law or the Ten Commandments in Matthew 22, Jesus transforms our understanding of the Ten Commandments and how we're to read them. Rather than being ten individual commands of moral obligation, Jesus says rather it's one command with ten perspectives on how that's lived out. One command, love, ten perspectives on how that is actually lived out. Matthew 22, starting in verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? That's what they asked Jesus. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, love God, love neighbor, Jesus says, depends all the law, including the Ten Commandments, and the prophets. Now, typically, we talk about the first four commandments explaining how you're to love God and the final six commandments on how you're to love your neighbor. While that is true, in actuality, all ten commandments explain how you are to love God. Let me explain. When Jesus rises from the dead in Luke chapter 24, and he's on the road to Emmaus with the two people that are walking. Do you remember what he says to them in Luke 24, 44? Jesus says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, 10 commandments being the core, and the prophets, and the Psalms. 
What Jesus says is that all of the scriptures, including the Ten Commandments, speak of him. So, Jesus is not just the one who perfectly keeps the law in his humanness, but he's also the one that we worship, that we honor, that we love in his deity as we keep the law. Right? So as you look at the Ten Commandments and you look at keeping the Ten Commandments, at the core of the Ten Commandments or the substance of the law is Jesus Christ. And so when you keep the law, you honor and you love Christ. And Jesus makes this connection in Matthew chapter 25. When the righteous ask him, they say, Jesus, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? And Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers, you did to me. See, Jesus is making that connection. And so the Ten Commandments, all of them, all of them are about Christ and loving Christ. Let me just work through them real quickly and show you this. First commandment, no other gods before me, teaches us to worship Jesus as the one Lord, one Savior, one mediator. In the second commandment, no carved images. Jesus is the one perfect image of God. And so our devotion is to him and no other image. In the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Jesus is the name of God to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. In the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. In his presence, we rest from our daily duties and we find life. In the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. We honor and love Jesus who restores us to the divine family and completely submitted himself to his father and honored his father. In the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. We honor and love Jesus as our life, that he's the one that brings life. He's the one that gave his life so that we could have life. In the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. We honor and love Jesus as our bridegroom as the one who purified us and cleansed us so that we could be a spotless bride. In the eighth commandment, you shall not steal. We honor and love Jesus as the source of our inheritance who provides everything that we need. In the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness. We honor and love Jesus who is the truth of God, who is the word of God in whom all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. In the 10th commandment, you shall not cover, covet. We honor and love him as our complete sufficiency in everything. That we're content with what he has given us and we're thankful for his gifts, present and future. That Jesus Christ is the absolute sum of the law. And that when we keep it, that we honor him, that we love Jesus. And so the Ten Commandments are absolutely a call to love God. How are we to understand them? Response to God's love, a call to love God, and then third, they're a call to love others. Jesus' summary in Matthew 22, 
Right? Love God is the first and great commandment. And then what does he say? And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, there's a couple of aspects of loving others that we see in the Ten Commandments that are worthy of noting this morning as we launch into this series. The first is this. When we typically talk about the commandments, as I mentioned, we talk about the first four describing how we love God, last six describing how we love others. In actuality, all Ten Commandments, as they all are about loving God, all Ten Commandments are also about loving others, even the first four. You say, how? How does this work? You cannot break commandments five through ten without first breaking the first commandment. You cannot break commandments five through ten without first breaking the first commandment. I'll give you an example. Take the tenth commandment. It says you shall not covet. Before you ever covet your neighbor's house, use that as an example, before you ever covet your neighbor's house, someone or something has risen to God-like status in your heart above the Lord. Now, why would you covet your neighbor's house? A lot of reasons. Could be just comfort and pleasure, bigger and better. Uh, it, It could be status, reputation, right? Bigger house means better place in the community. Or it could be security. Bigger house means bigger equity. You know, there's a number of reasons why you'd covet your neighbor's house. Understand that before you ever covet your neighbor's house, that if it's, if it's pleasure, comfort, if it's uh, security, if it is um, status, that those things have become so important that they've risen to God-like status above the Lord, that they are before the Lord. And when they're before the Lord, you will worship them. You don't have a choice. Your heart's going to worship what is first and foremost. And so when they elevate to that level, the only thing you have a choice to do is to covet your neighbor's house. Take another example. Uh, Ninth commandment, you shouldn't bear false witness. Before you ever, let me maybe dial this in, well, outright lie, we do that. I'll include that. But let's talk about spinning the truth, exaggerating the truth, right? All these variations of what it means to bear false witness. Before you ever do that, something or someone rises to God-like status and you break the first commandment, right? Before you spin the truth to try to enhance your reputation before someone, I know none of us do that, so this really isn't very practical, but before you spin the truth to, to put yourself in better standing, right, that God of reputation in your heart has risen above the Lord. And you have no choice but to serve that, which means that you will spin the truth or you'll exaggerate or you will lie. The point is, is that all of the commandments are about loving others. That the best way you can love others is to love Christ, who's the substance of the commandments, first and foremost. Parents, if you're not loving Christ first and foremost, you will either overprotect your children or you will underprotect your children. Uh, Men, if you're not loving Christ first and foremost and and obeying the first commandment, you will overwork and neglect your family. That's the first aspect of 
of loving others that we see in the Ten Commandments. Second aspect is to note that all the commandments that are in the negative have a positive counterpart to them. Right? All the, all the commandments in the negative have a positive counterpart. Paul, the Apostle Paul, picks up on this in Romans 13 as he provides his summary of the Ten Commandments. And let me read it to you. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. It says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. See what Paul's saying there? The list of of the Ten Commandments, and he pulls out the, the last six, some of the last six that are negative. He says, obedience to those ultimately is in loving your neighbor. So, you shall not commit adultery doesn't just mean you don't take your neighbor's spouse. It means that you actually work towards building up and encouraging your neighbor's marriage. Or take, uh, you shall not murder. You know, most of us would go, well, I've got that one nailed. I don't know, we might have somebody in here that has murdered before. But uh, by and large, I I would guess we're probably a place that says, you know, I've, I've gotten that one figured out. You shall not murder doesn't just mean you don't kill somebody. It means that you, you work towards fostering and promoting life and the, the, the dignity of human life. Or take, uh, you shall not steal. That doesn't just mean that you don't take something from your neighbor. It means that you actually work towards encouraging your own heart and your neighbor's heart to trust Jesus for the provision of everything. You see these negative, the negative commands have a positive corollary to them. And we're going to work through that as we work through the commandments. And then the last aspect of loving others that, that comes out of this, the Ten Commandments, and this is critical, is to understand that these were read to a community of people. That when God's people got these commands, they were together and they heard them as a community, which means they interpreted them as a community. That the Ten Commandments are not to be read as individual commands on how to justify yourself before God. That they're to be read and interpreted as a community of people. And they are the blueprint for a community of love that is centered on the substance of the law, which is Jesus Christ. God longed for Israel to be a beautiful community of love centered on Christ or the coming Messiah in a dark and sinful world. We read in Acts chapter 2, the new Israel, right? The church is to be this community of people, this beautiful community of love centered on Christ. Then we go to 1 Peter 2.9 where, where Peter actually gives... Uh, Israel-type language and applies it to the church, right? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness 
and into his marvelous light. You see, the church is to be a beautiful community of love that embodies Christ, that embodies the blueprint, which the Ten Commandments are a blueprint of what a beautiful community looks like. I want you to think about uh, when you've gone over to somebody's house, they've cooked you dinner, and they cooked an incredible dish. I mean, just unbelievable, right? Taste buds going crazy. It was just awesome. What typically do you say after you taste a a wonderful meal? You may say something like, man, that was incredible. What did you put in there? And then what's the typical answer? Assuming you're not trying to protect a recipe. This is the ingredient that makes it pop. This is it. This is what we put in it. Oh, that's it. That's what made it taste so beautiful. When people come in to this community here at Christ Church East, they should walk in and say, wow, that is an amazing community. Those people love each other. And if they ask the question why, it's an easy answer. It's Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is at the center of these Ten Commandments that we're going to be studying here this fall. That these Ten Commandments define what love is. We're in a world and a culture right now that if you talk about love, you'll get lots, lots of positive feedback. But what we're going to find in this study is that love does have boundaries. That love does have boundaries, life-giving boundaries. And that's what the Ten Commandments are all about, centered on Jesus Christ. So as we launch into this study this fall, right, remember the frame that we have built, okay, that these commandments are a response to God's love. Salvation, then obedience. Grace, then obedience. They're a call to love God. They're a call to love others. And they're not to be taken just as individual commands in an individual silo. That this is what we're going to read and study, the blueprint for a community that bears the resemblance of Acts 2, when at the end of that description of the Acts 2 church, it said the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the beauty of your Ten Commandments. And we acknowledge that they have been removed from context and that every person in this room maybe has a a different response when they hear that phrase because they have been in so much popular media. And we pray, Father, boldly that as we study these commandments in the context of you rescuing your people from Israel, just like you've rescued us from our sin, that we would see them and delight in them because we see that they are the blueprint for a dynamic relationship of love with you and a dynamic relationship of love with each other. And Father, even as we come to the Lord's Supper this morning, 
Would you remind us of what they called this? In those early years after Christ died and rose from the dead, that they called it a love feast and that we would receive it and take it as that. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.